The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We have a great show today. We're going to talk about Ryan Braun, the retirement, what Ryan Braun meant to the city of Milwaukee, why I think he is one of the most impactful brewers that has ever played uh, for the baseball team here in the city of Milwaukee. We'll talk maybe a little bit about the Brewers' loss yesterday against Detroit. Not too much to talk about in a one nothing defeat, as well as they get going at 12 today. So by the time this is up, we got like four hours. So I'll do like maybe a second on that. Um, more than that, but you get my point. We'll also talk about the Green Bay Packer offense against the Lions defense. Why I think Matt LaFleur might have been playing chicken um, in week one. We will also talk about the Badgers and their inability to convert on third down. Is that a Graham Mertz problem? Is that a Paul Chris problem? We'll get into that as well in this podcast. So sorry for the delay. I know you guys like to listen on your commute. Heard that feedback from my guy, Mickey. Um, And I'm sure there are others who do as well. So I apologize for getting the podcast out a little later than usual. I've been trying really hard to get these up before the the day starts. Um, But you know, life gets in the way sometimes. So apologize on that. Let's get into it. Let's not waste any more time talking about myself. Let's talk about Ryan Braun. So Ryan Braun finally retired. I don't think it was a surprise that Ryan Braun did step down from the game of baseball. Part of me wondered, had the fantasy, I guess, that Ryan Braun in July would tell the Brewers organization that he was ready to come back, wanted to come back, and like in a Roger Clemens, Brett Favre sort of thing, he was back in the fold for the second half of the season. That's what I thought Ryan Braun would do. Um, And I I don't know why. I I think it might have been just my fandom, my love for Ryan Braun, my just admiration for the player that he would come back and have one more moment and have the ride to the playoffs with these guys. It, it, It does feel a little wrong that Ryan Braun isn't with this team and to see how good they're doing and how successful they are. And to not have Ryan Braun there and the Brewers being a legitimate World Series contender and have the opportunity to maybe get very far come up October and Ryan Braun not being on that roster absolutely sucks. So a part of me wondered maybe he would come back. He didn't. He decided to retire. He is no longer a MLB active player. 14 years, he's done. There are many who talked about the complicated legacy, which I think is bullshit to kind of shit on a guy the the day he retires. I don't think it's that complicated of a legacy. I think the media blew it out of proportion. I think that Ryan Braun was scared and lied and did things that he shouldn't have. I'm not saying Ryan Braun was perfect in this. But I also think the guy who was handling Ryan Braun's piss didn't do his job either, okay? That that part gets lost in the entire shuffle that Ryan Braun had a guy who basically didn't do his job and that was part of the reason why this thing got so screwed up. And again, it was HGH, it wasn't steroids. I, It's not worth, the, let's not talk about that right now. I'm not gonna get into it because I'll get fired up and I'll, I will talk about it. You have to at least mention it, it's a footnote. But I feel like I think I saw Drew Olson who had the who who has the the or who's which player do you root for that has the most complicated legacy and it was like Favre, Rogers, and Braun and it's like to me that's not the topic today. Um, that would not have been my topic if I was running local radio. Instead, it would be just the memories and why Ryan Braun 
means so much as the Milwaukee Brewer stalwart, really. Not to put yourself in the shoes with Ryan Braun, but when Ryan Braun got called up, I was getting ready to go to college. I was getting ready to play football for Eau Claire. I was actually just about to graduate high school at the time. Ryan Braun got called up in 2007. You had Doug Russell, Mike Wickett, wishing everybody a happy Ryan Braun day. It was a fantastic day for the city of Milwaukee. Ryan Braun then played a huge role in helping the Brewers you know, get to the precipice. Now, they fell apart that 2007 season. Braun won Rookie of the Year that year. And then the following year was the Brewers making the playoffs for the first time in 25 years. And that, to me, launched a thousand ships. Then that made the Brewers you know, more of a contender, more of a team that people should start taking seriously. The, the Cubs and the, the Cardinals were doing their thing at that time, but the Brewers were kind of there. And the Brewers were kind of not just a slapdick team that no one expects anything from. They were a real organization. And then three years later, after the Ken Maka disaster, they get Ron Renneke, they make they make the postseason, they win the division in 2011. They have an incredible year in 2011 where Ryan Braun wins MVP, and they get very close to getting to the World Series. Now, St. Louis Cardinals were better. Um, they beat the Brewers in six games, and then that's where we were. And the Brewers had opportunities after that, and Ryan Braun dealt with a lot of drama during that time and had a fan base that was never really on his side. But I kind of never left. I never felt like I wanted to leave Ryan Braun the player because Ryan Braun was one of my favorite athletes, is one of my favorite athletes. He's never been a guy that I have shied away from. Um, He has just... It, it, it's, he's the embodiment of A, being a brewer, but also how clutch he is. I mean, there's a 17-minute compilation on YouTube that you could watch of Ryan Braun being clutch. And there are so many big moments where you remember where you were. You remember the Grand Slam in 2008 against Pittsburgh. And for that, I was in the dorms. And I remember everybody screaming and going absolutely absurd and running up and down the dorms that Ryan Braun had hit this walk-off Grand Slam against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I remember the Miami home run or was there the Florida Marlins at the time to clinch the division I was by myself playing Edward 40 hands with uh Cap'n and Chance on a it wasn't even a zoom we didn't have zoom back then it was like Facebook video or something dumb like that and I didn't then had champagne in my freezer and I ended up getting extremely drunk that night and I puked the next day. Um, and But that was all worth it. The Brewers had won the division. I remember calling my dad and Ryan Braun, again, played a huge part in that and helping the Brewers get to where they were in the postseason that year as well. And so all of those memories are baked in. I don't remember the Chicago. The only one I don't have is the Chicago game where Ryan Braun hits the home run in the eighth inning. I was at football practice that day. If you want to talk about, and it's probably a podcast for another time, but like in my top five most regrettable misses, that to me is probably number one. Like I did not get to watch that game. We were, we, we were kind of whispering about it, murmuring about it at practice, 
but I was at practice for that entire thing. And like the Mets lost and this incredible thing had happened and the Brewers were in the playoffs for the first time in really all of our lifetimes because the last time it was 1982. And so in a lot of ways, Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder deserves some credit too, Ricky Weeks, Corey Hart, those guys, J.J. Hardy a little bit, those guys were the core that sort of revived the Brewers. And Ryan Braun had so much to do with that revival. And I think all fans really should be grateful. And I know that there are fans who are younger, who are you know maybe 18, 19, who don't really remember Ryan Braun, or they grew up with him. I, I still remember when I thought that things were changing for the Brewers and that the Brewers were more than just the third or fourth team, the like back in the day, the Packers were so much popular than the Brewers and Bucks, and for good reason. And I know Mitch and I have kind of went over this before, but like the Packers were the team; they were the only team because the Packers were winning games. The Packers won the Super Bowl in the late '90s. They were making the playoffs pretty consistently, and the Brewers and Bucks just sucked. Like the Brewers in the 90s were ran by awful ownership. Uh, Wendy Selig Preeb was the queen of nepotism, right? It was an awfully run organization. I feel like we need to have some sort of deep dive podcast on how bad the 90s brewers were and the moments around them because they just, a comedy of errors. Uh, Dean Taylor was a sh- uh, just a shill. Uh, Sal Bando wasn't any better. They were an embarrassing organization for a long time before Mark Ananasio took over. And same with the Bucks. And we know the Bucks story and and, and took the Bucks a lot longer. I mean, I still remember in 2011 when the Brewers were rolling, the Badgers were on fire with Russell Wilson. The Packers had just come off a Super Bowl and there were the Wisconsin shirts, which I hated. The Bucks weren't even on that. Because they weren't good. They weren't part of Wisconsin. And yet they were one of our professional franchises. So when I started seeing Ryan Braun jerseys from little kids when I was in high school, and I, I, I it was an immediate change in college. Excuse me, I was in high school. I was a little older. It was college. But like that was a moment. That was a cornerstone moment for me to see all of these kids wearing Braun jerseys, Prince Fielder jerseys, very similar to the last few years where you started to see Giannis jerseys and you started to see the change in fandom here in the city of Milwaukee. Now with the Bucks championship, the fandom has went mostly the Bru- the Bucks, but I've said this before and I'll say it again, if the Brewers win a title, this city will come unglued. Like they came unglued for the Bucks and but it would it's going to like double for the Brewers. This is a baseball town. And to have the Brewers win a World Series for the first time ever would mean so much more to the older generations, the baby boomers, Gen X. But it would be a lot, I think, to the even the millennials. I think Gen Z enjoyed this Bucks run more than maybe the boomers did, but it would be a full-on celebration across the state. And I think it could happen. And Ryan Braun has a lot to do with setting the table stakes and setting the foundation and i can never i can't like thank him enough i it's just it's hard to watch one of your favorite players retire um the last time i've had to do this was really brett Favre, and that was so weird and i i still remember like where i was i remember i was writing a blog 
And I was in our like auxiliary area where the TV was on and I had Favre's press conference in the background. And I remember right, I still kind of remember what I wrote. Like I remember like, this is what it must feel like when Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and John Elway, I think I mentioned at that, like this must be how it feels. And then, then the whole drama that started with Favre and kind of diminished that moment. And in a weird way, and this isn't being critical of Ryan Braun, but this also was a weird retirement. This was not just, I'm retiring at the end of this season. It's like, can Wisconsin athletes not do retirement the right way? Like, Ryan Braun decided not to play this season and just sort of held out. And then by the end of the year, he's like, yeah, I'm done. So it's like, well, all right. Like, I, obviously, it's a sad day, but... It, can we actually just have like a, a full-on retirement? Like it bums me out that Ryan Braun will be back next week at American Family Field or on the 26th. Um, so not next. Yeah, that's next week, right? Yeah, that's next week because the Ryder Cup's next. Yeah, so next week, unfortunately, it's Ryder Cup Sunday. It's um, it's NFL Sunday. I know the why the Brewers are doing it. It's Fan Appreciation Day. On top of that, it's trying to get people out to the ballpark on an NFL Sunday. It's a savvy move by the Brewers. I'm going to catch hell from Mitch, by the way, because I told Mitch, I was like, ah, I don't know. We'll certainly talk about on having a keg today or tomorrow. I, I promise you. But anyways, he I just wish he would have got that moment, right? And Ryan Braun being as clutch as he is and as just impactful as he can be, I feel like he would have just done some great things for the Brewers down the stretch if given that opportunity. And so I think the reason I wanted Ryan Braun back was to get that moment. It wasn't because I just wanted him to get a ring. I mean, that is a huge factor in it, right? But it also was I wanted Ryan Braun to have that pop, to have that final moment of glory. And COVID robbed that of him. And that will forever make me sad. Um, it It will never be a happy moment on that. And that Ryan Braun had multiple back issues down the stretch and really couldn't play in that Dodger series. Like all that will, you know, be remembered. And that's why I thought he would try one more time. But he's he's happy. And if he's happy, I'm happy. I hope that Ryan Braun gets his number retired. I think he should. I don't think there is any question about that. I understand all the bullshit, but Ryan Braun, like I said, was one of the most impactful brewers that has ever played the played with this team. It is Yount, Molitor, Braun, in any order you want. Those are the three, okay? And maybe Yelich gets into that mix later on in life. But those three mean so much to the Milwaukee Brewers. And those two are up there, so Braun should be two. I'm not advocating for a statue. That might be a little too far. But Ryan Braun's number should be retired. No one else should be wearing eight for the rest of time. So thank you, Ryan Braun. Thank you for the memories. And you will be missed as a player. Um, it sucks getting old as I am. And st- you're starting to see some of your old sports heroes step down and move on. Brewers yesterday won nothing. I mean, the big takeaway there, besides the offense just not really showing up, was Freddie Peralta got right. And we had talked about that on the podcast last week about how this Detroit game, even though Detroit was an improved team, like they're... 10 games under 500. They're not like perfect, but they show some signs, especially against good teams, that they can be something maybe next year. And that Detroit could contend for a playoff spot next season. And they're well coached with A.J. Hinch. 
and or AJ, yeah, was it AJ Hinch? Yeah, it's AJ Hinch. Um, and they so they have what it takes, right? They they have they're not just a rollover. They're not the Baltimore Orioles by any shape of the imagination. And the fact that Freddie was able to get right against them is really important. That was really good. Um, that kind of gives me hope that Peralta's kind of fixed and worked on whatever he was going through from the shoulder injury. So I'm I'm very encouraged by that. I, I don't really care they lost. Um, you know, it is what it is at this point. The the magic number is still at five, um, but it's going to fluctuate as, as it goes on right now. What the Brewers are dealing with is a red-hot St. Louis Cardinals team who just keeps winning. And they have overtaken the Reds. The Reds have fallen apart. I don't think David Bell will keep his job if they continue. I think if I were the Reds, I would pull pull a Ned Yost. I would fire David Bell right now. I would absolutely pull the Ned Yost card because it feels like the Reds are just falling apart and going in the wrong direction. And there's still opportunity for them to win the wild card. And they they need some sort of shakeup because they just keep losing. I, I don't I don't understand it. I I bet the Reds yesterday because I was like, oh, they're playing the Pirates. Wade Miley's been pitching well. Wade Miley or the Pirates not great against lefties this year. And they were and Wade Miley was terrible. Um so really interesting that the Reds and the Padres too. The Padres got their asses kicked by the Giants. They're, they're, fall, they're both falling apart and the, the Cardinals are just going to slide right into the playoffs and probably play the Dodgers in that wild card round. And then Cardinal Devil Magic will just be off the fucking charts in that one. Alright, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. Not to continue on with the Ryan Braun topic, but it did bum me out. I didn't look at his Instagram. I think I did look at his stories yesterday that Aaron Rodgers didn't give like a you know, congrats, Brawny, or anything like that. I think they still hate each other. Um, after Ryan Braun lied to Rodgers, Rodgers stood up for him, said Ryan Braun didn't take steroids, yada, yada. And then it turned out he did have HGH. And then I think Rodgers and Braun have not been friends ever since. And I think they've been very icy towards each other. Um, I would love it if Rodgers did give a congrats. That would be great. Um, I, I think those guys were really close friends for a while and it just kind of fell apart and now Rodgers and Yelich and everybody else Rodgers with the Bucks whatever what it, what it may be but still it kind of sucks but the Packers are not really worried about Ryan Braun retirement they're worried about the Detroit Lions um, they have the Lions on Monday night it'll be on ESPN we will do the whole Aaron Rodgers offseason saga again leading up to the game there will be a, I, I'm sure interviews topics whatever it may be you have people pushing the panic button after week one mitch and i i think we'll talk about that tomorrow about if that's really necessary it isn't a uh, spoiler alert you have people ready to trade aaron Rodgers. shout out to peter schrager who i love but that was just fucking ridiculous i i will admit like peter is better than that like that was that was pure engagement bait pure just garbage from him and it's embarrassing that he even put that out there but then again Schrager rides real hard for the Rams and he doesn't really get called out on just basically being a Rams fanboy but again I'm not I like Peter I do I just you know hide your biases just a little bit if if you can okay anyways so the Packers play the Lions um the Lions are not good the Lions are gonna fight them the Lions are gonna bite your ankles Dan Campbell, or as Pat McAfee calls him, Motor City Dan Campbell, is going to come with a passion. 
they are going to want to spoil the Packers. Dan Campbell will act like this is blood in the water. Dan Campbell will get his boys ready to play. The Lions have given the Packers fits in the past. The Monday night game two years ago where the Lions should have won that game 9.5 times out of 10 and the Packers came back and beat the Lions. There was some shady officiating. Lions fans still haven't forgot about it, but that's mostly because Lions fans don't really have anything else to talk about. So they just bitch about the refs and how the Packers get favored. It's a really ugly trait from Lions fans, but they do it all the time. And it's it's garbage, to be honest. So last year, though, the Packers at home took care of business and beat them 42-21. to Also in Detroit, they won 31-24. to That game against the Lions was the second game of the year where people had thought maybe that Lions team was good. Um, That was not the case. Lions did open up that game 14-3, and then the Packers just opened a full can of whoop-ass the rest of the way. Aaron Jones rushed for 168 yards. He had a 75-yard run in that game. The Packers overall rushed for 259 yards in that game. Aaron Rodgers, 240 yards through the air. He had a quarterback rating of 107, um, and Jones was his big receiver in that game. I think, as with most, when you look at box scores, you can define who had the biggest game, and this was the Aaron Jones game without question. And Aaron Jones lit up the Lions last year, and the Lions had trouble stopping the run against the San Francisco 49ers, which is a similar scheme. It's not really exactly. So this is definitely a get-right spot for the Packers running attack. Now, you heard Matt LaFleur say that he went away from the run and abandoned the run way too early in week one. I expect them to try to run the football. I expect Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon to get a lot of carries early and often to kind of establish that run and establish Aaron Jones. I know sometimes establish the run means an antiquated old offense, but I do think you're going to get a lot more running than you did last week. And speaking of last week, a lot of people ask, like, what the fuck, Matt LaFleur? This this did not look like last year's team. This didn't even really look like the 2019 team. What the hell actually happened? I'm glad you asked because I have a theory. Here's what I think happened. The Packers didn't run a ton of plays in the first half. Packers, I think, ran, I think, under 10 10 plays or 10, 10 to 20, whatever. I don't have it on me. They, they didn't run a lot of plays in the first half. They got out of the locker room. They're down 17-3. to three. Aaron Andrews goes to uh, Matt LaFleur, does the whole thing in the at, in, at halftime, and LaFleur says, I haven't even touched my playbook. I've barely got into things. Like I'm just starting. Well, we have a long way to go. I think Matt LaFleur kind of scrapped what he was going to do. I think after the Rodgers interception, when Rodgers threw the pick, because that drive was really good. Like, what people forget about that, yeah, that interception sucked, and Aaron Rodgers told Pat McAfee I got hit in the nuts, and that was the reason why I threw the pick. But that was a really good drive from the Packers. They were moving the ball down the field, and they were kind of making some waves. I think after that interception, Matt LaFleur said, you know what? I am not going to give anybody anything more. This game is, we're probably screwed. We're probably going to lose this. Let's go very, very vanilla for for the next game. So my opinion is that Matt LaFleur didn't have this, um, this change, this change in direction, this total just flip, this reversal. It was more that Matt LaFleur was being coy 
with the next opponent, next couple opponents. He knows he has San Francisco in two weeks. They, Shanahan and him are longtime friends. They do a lot of similar shit. I don't think he wanted to give Shanahan and their defensive coaching staff, D'Amico Ryans, who jury's still out on him. I mean, he gave up 33 points to the Lions. Now faces an Eagles team where I kind of like the Eagles in that game, by the way. Um, it, that, to me, is one of those things where I... I just wonder. I just wonder if Matt LaFleur started to go say, all right, we're going to go vanilla and not show anybody a damn thing and not give really that this basically is bad tape. We're going to poison the well here because we know that there's we're not coming back. And I'm not saying he waved the white flag because that would be wrong. And I, I think that's maybe what some might interpret this podcast to say. It's not. It's saying that Matt LaFleur was kind of being sneaky by just saying, all right, you know what? We're, this isn't working. We're down by a ton. We're not coming back here. Let's just figure it out for next week. So I expect the offense to look entirely different next week. Now, if it doesn't, if it still looks like the team from week one and they struggle to score and it doesn't, you know, kind of match what we've seen, you know, they only had 18% of play action, which compared to, I think it was 30% or 39%. Last year, uh, shout out to Warren Sharp for that. I just think that's an indication of Matt LaFleur just sort of saying, all right, I'm not going to show you all my cards. And maybe he doesn't show all his cards against Detroit. I don't know. Maybe they don't need to. Maybe they don't need to bring out their entire playbook against Detroit because Detroit isn't that good. And you look at their defensive secondary and it's really rough. I don't know really any guy in that second. I kind of know Tracy Walker, but that's about it. Like, I, I they're not good in the secondary. Um, maybe Ifito, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. They lost Jeffrey Okuda to an Achilles injury. Like, they are really light in that secondary. Their front four, front seven is a little bit better, but they're... Their back end is terrible, and it could be a real ugly game for the, for that defense with the Packers team that I think will want to make a statement. I think the Packers will want to come out firing, and they will want to show the rest of the NFL, especially because it's on primetime, kind of a warning message that week one can be a fluke, and I think this offense is going to come out with a fury, and if they don't, I'm going to have a lot of questions. It's just, it'll be hard not to, right? You watch the 49ers on the road put up 41 points on the same Lions team. If they put up 41 points and they were kind of a, I wouldn't say a new team, but there was a lot of new pieces for the Lions. You know, Ayuk doesn't play. It's Trent Shearfield. It's Elijah Mitchell, who was the fantasy darling. I had a buddy pay $81 out of his $100 budget for Elijah Mitchell. That is an overreaction in my opinion. But they put up 41. Jimmy Garoppolo had 314 yards and a touchdown, averaged 12 yards a pass. They're in a quarterback rating of 124. There is no reason why Aaron Rodgers can't replicate that. He has to be able to replicate that. And if he doesn't, yeah, there's going to be some questions. There's There's definitely going to be questions heading into that San Francisco game. And you could say, well, it's a look ahead. I think I would say it's a look ahead if the Packers were awesome last week. The Packers went in, they beat the Saints, they had a good victory. Let's say they won by 10. Then this week I'd be like, well, look out for the Lions. Like that's a, such a, a sandwich spot because now you got to go on the road to play San Francisco. So we'll see. 
We'll see what happens there. It, I, th- I believe in this offense. I'm not ready to just bail ship. I'm not ready to quote-unquote panic. Like I said, we'll, we'll do a little bit on panic um, tomorrow on the on tabbing the keg with Mitch. Lastly, let's talk about the Wisconsin Badgers. So Wisconsin Badgers did win against Eastern Michigan. They're not in action this weekend, so I figured we could talk a little bit about them. I thought Jeff Patrikas had an interesting article about the Badgers' inability to convert on third downs. They've really struggled on third downs so far this season. They're 11th in the Big Ten in third down conversions through two games. Now you could say, well, some of the teams played like Sisters of the Poor, like Maryland played Howard, right? They they didn't play, Indiana played Idaho. Like, so some of that might be skewed, but still it's worth calling out that the Badgers are having some third down issues, which was a part of their problem last season. So is this Graham Mertz or is this Paul Christ? You could argue maybe it's a little bit of both. So when they run the football on third down, Patrikas notes, they were 11 of 17 and converting third downs. When they're seven yards or more, they've only converted two of those. The percentage was very minimal. So you could look at that and say, well, that is Mertz. That's Mertz inability. They're two of 11 of the seven or more. They're two of 11. So 18%. That's... That's not good. That is not good. Granted, it's a small sample size, but still, that's not good. So where does the blame fall thus far? Is that a Mertz thing or is that a Chris thing? So let's start with Mertz. Mertz, I still think the jury is out. I think he was pretty efficient. You could see what he's able to do with a strong running attack with Ches Malusi, Jalen Berger, uh, Braylon Allen, who I think was more in when Chase Wolf, but Isaac Guerrero, like all those guys were able to carry the football and be just awesome. Chase or uh, Mertz was able to just sort of be that secondary player. I don't think that's what anyone expected out of Graham Mertz. He's one of the top prospects the Badgers have had at the quarterback position. Graham Mertz was supposed to be different. He was supposed to be, I don't want to say a deity because that means like he was supposed to be like Justin Fields or a top pick, but he was supposed to be really fucking good. I think people expected Graham Mertz to be a second or third round, fourth round quarterback for for the Wisconsin Badgers and be that good. And he has not lived up to that expectation in any shape of the imagination. I just, it's not who Mertz has been at all through his Badger career. And this third down stuff is concerning because it's like, all right, those are passes you need to make. Like the Badgers are not asking you to do much. They are asking you to manage the game. They're asking you to complete handoffs and get first downs when we need to. And we can't rely on the running game. That's when Mertz is supposed to step in. And this is something that a lot of Badger quarterbacks have been asked to do. Some have done it well. Some haven't. Some have very much struggled at this sort of being the game manager, the second option for this offense. But then I'd look at Paul Christ. And we've talked about this, and I think it's going to come up, especially if they struggle against Notre Dame, which I've stated is, I think, a very winnable game for them. They have to start heading towards the future. They, they don't need to run a spread concept, but Paul Chris needs to start bringing in more and more of what's going on in today's football. How they're not running more play action, I don't have the numbers, but first down play action, to me, feels like an, an ultimate win for the Badgers. Like if the Badgers are running first down play action passes, and Mertz is basically getting 
Jake Ferguson out in the flat for five yards and then setting up a Malusi run for another five and that's your first down. Like to me, that makes so much more sense. And there's there's an emphasis in the NFL right now about not getting to third down, avoiding third downs. The Packers are really good at that. We're really good at that last year. I and mean, this year, we don't know yet. But last year, we're very good at avoiding third downs in general. The fact that the Badgers have involved themselves in so many third downs tells me more about Paul Chris than it does Graham Mertz because he's not thinking forward. He's not pushing ahead that offense and saying, all right, even though this is what the Badgers do and the Badgers are a smash mouth football team and there's nothing wrong with that, but why can't you have, who is it? Was it Mike Malarkey that called it, Matt, was it Mike Malarkey that called it exotic smash mouth? Why can't we have exotic smash mouth? Why can't you run a, a screen to start out on first down? Why can't you run a quick slant to Danny Davis or Kendrick Pryor? You have really talented receivers and tight ends. That, to me, again, makes it even more frustrating that you can't convert on third downs. So while Mertz still has to be the one that hits the open receiver, to me, there's also Paul Crist is putting them in those positions by running the football too much. And just a step back and just doing stuff. And I'm not, again, I'm not advocating a fucking 11 personnel and throwing the ball downfield and running four verts. That's not what I'm advocating. All I'm advocating is a slight sea change in what you're doing and just sort of look at it a little bit differently. And I think until Paul Chris does that, the, pa- the Badgers are going to struggle. So we'll see. I had Notre Dame game, man. And I know they play Michigan the week after. Those two weeks are so big for the Badgers and the future. And we'll obviously talk a lot more about it. But these are huge games for what Wisconsin is in the next few few weeks, few years. Like I, I just think they mean a ton. As we've sort of seen the Badgers in this sort of malaise now for a year plus. And we haven't seen that Badger team from two years ago where they're competing for a national championship. And they still could this year. That's the crazy thing. If they come out and they're awesome against Notre Dame and Michigan, they're right back in the conversation. It's crazy. So still really early in the college football season. So maybe Paul Chris, this is part of the plan. Who knows? Maybe he's playing chicken with us just like I said Matt LaFleur. I don't think so. I think this is who Paul Chris is. All right. That does it for today. We will be back tomorrow with Tapping the Keg. So Mitch and I will be trying to do Tapping the Keg every Thursday going forward. Now, I caveat this in saying that the Brewers and Bucks will likely screw this up at some point. So it's not going to be perfect. Like this is not going to be a easy science with the Brewers and Bucks rolling. Um, but we're going to try our best to do Thursday shows uh, going forward. And that's sort of going to be our bread and butter. And that will be sort of what we are doing. Um, We're going to try to do a little more of an evergreen show. So while it'll be a weekly roundup, we're not going to do something where news is going to be stale the next day. So it's something you can listen to day of, but you could also listen to Saturday when you're cleaning the house or walking the dog. Like that's kind of what it's going to be there for you. This is more of the end of day sort of thing. Um, so few things that we're thinking about. I'm sure we'll talk about the Ryan Braun pub crawl. Um, I have an idea for that for Mitch. Um, so I will pitch that, him that idea. 
Um, and then we also will talk about the Packers, of course, but we'll talk more on the Lions side and I think talk more about the general conversation about the Packers this week. I, I kind of want to have a discussion about panic buttons and why I've always, I think it's a, it's a classic topic, but it's something that we should really save and, and keep in our holster until at least like week three or week four. Um, but we'll talk about that. Maybe talk about what it's like to be a Detroit fan right now as well. Um, and could Packer fans survive? All right. So I, those are some ideas. We'll see what we get round into. Um, hope you guys have a great Wednesday. We'll talk tomorrow. All right. See you. Bye.